0: Good morning, it is, uh, it is good to be with you this morning, thanks always for the, for the invite to come and worship with you uh, on a Sunday morning, and share a word from the Lord, share a word from the scriptures. It's Good to see your faces, even though they're behind the mask, I still know who you are, um, this morning, we'll be talking about love. We're going to talk about love this morning. Love is a—it's a feeling that a lot of people desire. Uh, it's, it's something that most of us fall short at giving. Love is a, a vital component. Of living life as human beings here on earth. So this morning we'll look at love from the perspective of what John has written in the letter of 1 John. We'll continue from where Ronnie left off last week. We'll be in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 through verse 17. First John, chapter 2, verse 7 through verse 17. There are four points I'd like to share with us this morning as we look through these 11 verses. The first is the presence of love. The presence of love. The second is the restraint of love. The restraint of of love. The third point is the prerequisite for love. The prerequisites for love. And to wrap this up, the fourth point is love wrongly applied. Love wrongly applied. Or as uh, Modesta would like me to say, love misapplied. For the first point, look with me in verse 7 and verse 8. John writes, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him And in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. On your first read at these two verses, maybe on your second, maybe even your third, or fourth, or as many reads as you may take, these verses are a little bit confusing. John says, I'm writing to you a commandment that's not new but it's old that you heard from the beginning. But, on the other end, at the same time, yet, I'm writing to you a new commandment. was it both? How is it both old and new at the same time? It's a little bit confusing, if you're honest. But before we get into unpacking and untangling that web, Let's look at what it called them at the beginning of this section. He said, or he wrote, beloved, or as some other translations will call it, dear friends. In our common vernacular, we can say, the ones whom I love. John had a love for them that compelled him to write to them. Uh, That love compelled him to write in the manner in which he has written in this letter. Not just this letter, but both 2nd and 3rd John. In the letter, we see a lot of repetitions. We see a lot of assurance that this audience indeed belonged to Jesus, and that his gift of forgiveness belongs to them. This is a group of people. This is a community that John loved. But what, a, what exactly is the commandment that John is talking about? Or what is this commandment that is new and yet old at the same time? When we keep reading, and we read all the way through the end of the section in verse 17, we begin to see that this, command, this commandment is the commandment to love. Most of his attention in the next 10 verses after verse 7 is spent on writing about love. The command to love is indeed an old command. It's an old commandment. We heard it read earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 6 when the people of Israel were commanded to love the Lord their God with all their hearts, all their soul, and all their might. John wants his audience to know that this command is is not novel. It's not a new invention. It's not something that's starting with him. They themselves have heard it from the beginning of their conversion. After all, love is a key tenant of the Christian faith. Love is so vital that Jesus used it to summarize the entire commandment. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 40, when a Pharisee came up to him and asked him, Teacher, which is the greatest of all the commandments? To which Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Repeating exactly what we read in Deuteronomy. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On this two depends the entire law and prophet. And so we see what John means by this is the old commandment. But it is also new. It is new in its expression. John wrote that the new commandment in verse 8 is true in him, him in Christ, and in you. The commandment to love, while well, an old commandment finds a new expression in the person of Christ and in the conduct of believers. In John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus told his followers, greater love, as no one than this, then he laid down his life for his friends. This is what is new about love. Well, we, we got to see it in the death of Jesus Christ. We, we, we saw it expressed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and thus, that becomes the standard for which his followers are to love. This is the new expectation. Jesus Christ, the love that he displayed becomes the new expectation. And that is why in John 13, verse 34, Jesus told his disciples, he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as high, just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. And later on in verse 35, he said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If if you're maybe smarter than I, you can probably see the similarities between Jesus and, and John in 1 John. Jesus said, Uh, The commandment is so old in that it summarizes the entire law and the prophets, yet it told his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. John said, the command is old, but yet it is new. John must have been a good student, paying attention to the words of his master, And this love is true in Christ and in the community. To end that verse, John wrote, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. Uh, This new commandment is true in Christ and in you because the darkness is passing away And the new light, and the true light is already shining. Let's talk about that for a minute, shall we? The Bible tells us that we live in the age of darkness. The Bible tells us that all creation moans and groans waiting for the day of redemption. The Bible tells us that the ruler of of this world is at work in the sons of disobedience. But John wrote something spectacular here. John wrote something remarkable. John said, wrote that darkness and the power of the evil one is being overcome by the presence of the true light. And this true light is both, get this, it's both the message of the gospel and the conduct of the believers. Remember, he said, This new commandment is true in Christ and in you. The love displayed by Jesus, when he laid down his life, overcame darkness. The love displayed by believers toward one another overcomes the power of the evil one. Let me break it down a little bit more this morning. Darkness and evil aren't passing away because they want to. They are passing away because of an external force that's been acted against them. Namely, the loving conduct of Christians and that of Christ. The loving conduct of Christians contributes to the passing away of evil and of darkness. Have you ever thought about your loving conduct In those terms, the proclamation of the gospel is light shining forth to the detriment and the dissolution of darkness. The conduct, the life of the believers is light shining forth to the detriment and the dissolution of darkness. The saying is true. All you need is love to make the world a better place. But the type of love is Christian love, the type of love that emulates Christ. Two points of application for us this morning. Uh, For us listening today, we belong to Jesus. Primarily, we ought to love each other truly. The more we love truly, the more united we are against the work of the enemy. We ought to think the best of each other's motives. We ought to be lis- we ought to be willing to listen to those whom we differ with. We ought to be willing to set aside the rights we have as Christians. We ought to be willing to acknowledge where we are wrong and where we've wronged each other. We ought to be willing to help out where there is a need. We ought to be willing to ask for help where there is a need. We ought to lavish each other with grace. When I think about that, the picture that comes to mind is this. Some of you were participants in the traditional wedding ceremony of Modesta and I a couple of, couple of years back. And so you would remember there was a time in the ceremony where we were dancing and people were giving money, as, you know, as we would say, spraying money on us. Now some of you may have gotten a couple of dollars yourself that night. Now that is the image that I have when, we, when I think of lavishing grace on one another. Ego grace for you. Ego grace for you. Ego grace for you. Secondarily, we are to love those outside of our camp truly. Now, we are to seek to be involved in areas where Christ is in seen as Lord. We are to contribute to the nourishment of those who lack. We are to contribute to the comforting of those who are suffering. We are to join in the celebration of God's gift, even to those who don't belong to him. Now, that's what it means for love to be present. Because when love is present, darkness passes away. When love is present, true light is shining forth. And that brings us to our second point, the restraint of love. The restraint of love. After his introductory-like remarks in verse 7 and verse 8, John turned his attention to what theologians call the secessionists. Uh, this was the actually the cause of this letter. Uh, this was the group of Christians who were within this community but began to introduce foreign beliefs. They began to believe that they have higher knowledge, a uh, special knowledge, and sought to take out of that community. Uh, their fellow Christians. Uh, they, they sought to convert, if you will, those who were fellowshipping with them. But after a while, they got up and left to do their own thing. So when John writes, he's really writing in response to this group of folks. And so something you'll see in chapter 1 through chapter 5 is the constant phrase, whoever is saying, or if we say, or if we claim, and when John wrote any of those phrases, it was rephrasing the beliefs or the claims of the secessionists uh, of those who have seceded from the community. Now John isn't admonishing this Christian community. Now John isn't merely warning them of the consequences uh, uh, of their sins, but but rather he's showing the falsehood and absurdity of the claims and behaviors of those who have seceded. So that those who remain can be rest assured that they are in the right and they are in the light. You know, it's often, at least for me, in my experience, 1 John has been seen as a a list of checkboxes to see if you truly belong to God. You know, are you loving? Are are you you you, you sinning? Do you belong? Do you not belong? How do you check where you're at in the faith? I think that's wrong. Uh, This isn't uh, uh, to see whether you belong, but this is to encourage those who belong. And to let them know that those who have left actually don't belong. It is to refute the beliefs that this group of folks have introduced into the community. As I said earlier, this, those who seceded introduced foreign beliefs. Uh, they came, claimed to have special knowledge and wanted to convert their fellow Christians. However, In the process of trying to do this, their behavior was not too friendly. And so John wrote in verse nine of chapter two, whoever is saying that he is in the light and is hating his brother is at present in the darkness. Apparently, because of their new and profound knowledge, the disturbers, as I like to call them, those who are disturbing the peace of the community, claimed that they were in the light. Now remember, in verse 8, John said, the true light, making a distinction between the claims of those who have succeeded. Now They claim to be in the light, but their behavior bears no resemblance to what corresponds to those who are in the true light. Uh, their version of the light is actually darkness. Here you have a group of people who claim to have special knowledge. But the way in which they treat those who disagree with them reeks of wickedness and intolerance. Most translations present hate as a static activity. Meaning, you hate your brother at the present, or... You hated the brother yesterday. However, it is actually an ongoing activity. But what exactly does it mean to hate? What exactly does it mean to be hating a fellow Christian, a fellow believer? To be hating a fellow Christian is to intentionally withhold the true love that you're expected to show it is to intentionally withhold the true love that you are expected to show the love John wrote about in verse 7 and verse 8 it is also to intentionally act in ways that promote animus, strife malice and other peace-destabilizing behaviors. Hating the fellow brother or sister does not overcome darkness, but rather it is an experience of darkness and allows for the continual reign of Satan. Ongoing hatred allows for the continual reign of Satan. In verse 10, John wrote that whoever is loving his brother remains in the light and there is no stumbling block for him. If we read that negatively, John wrote that hating a brother causes or creates a stumbling block. Ongoing hatred, brothers and sisters. sisters, Ongoing hatred, gives the devil an opportunity to have his way. It is why Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and verse 27, when he says, when he wrote that in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil an opportunity. And that's because if our anger isn't addressed, it can begin to manifest in hatred. And in verse 11, John wrote that but whoever is hating his brother is in the darkness and lives in the darkness and does not know where he's going since the darkness has blinded his eyes. Ongoing hatred is a sign of a loss of direction. The eyes are blinded. Now, hating a brother is to be swimming in a pool of darkness. And when darkness around you, It is impossible to know where you ought to walk. The saying is true. Hatred is dangerous. These secessionists have their hearts filled with hatred, even while claiming to be in the light, even while claiming to have some special knowledge. You see, the description of the secessionists is a warning for us. Their description is a a warning for us to be on guard against the desire to withhold love and carry out hatred. Do you remember Paul's famous words in 1 Corinthians 13 about love? Paul said, if I speak in tongues, the tongues of men or the tongues of angels, and I have no love, I am only a resounding gong, or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, and I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possession to the poor and give over my body to hardship or to be burned, that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. The same is true here. If I'm filled with hatred towards my brother, I gain nothing. What is hatred? Again, you ask. It is the withholding of true love and the carrying out of this peace-destabilizing behaviors. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, "Well, you know, I, I never remember the last time I carried out a peace-destabilizing behavior. Well, let me ask you. Have you without love? Have you intentionally without showing true love to your fellow Christian, to a fellow Christian, to your, a fellow believer, or because of how they made you feel? Because you were mad? Because you were unhappy with them? Maybe you haven't, but I have. I know on several occasions I've without love from a Modesta for a couple of hours, for a few hours because I was mad at her. Withholding love is actually carrying out the carrying out of hatred. Now I know that. And, and this may be foreign to you, but it shouldn't be. After all, you're Presbyterians. What does the West I Minister mean, Catechism says about the commandment. It, it doesn't just tell you what the commandment allows, but what the commandment forbids. It's positive and it's negative. So when we think of hatred, it's positive and it's negative. Uh, to hate can be the withholding of true love, but it can also be the acting of peace-destabilizing behavior. Ongoing hatred of the brothers is the allowance of the reign of Satan. Because remember, when we love, the darkness is passing away. Ongoing hatred of the brothers is giving an opportunity to the enemy. Ongoing hatred of the brother is a sign of loss of direction. Moving on to our third point, in verse 12 through verse 14. We see this third point this morning as a prerequisite for love. John wrote, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him, who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young man, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young man, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. It is very difficult to love, as we've been commanded to, if true faith is not present. Uh, True and genuine faith is the prerequisite for the presence of love. The Christian community experienced what John wrote in 12 to 14 because of their faith and nothing else. Uh, It was not because of their precious works that their sins are forgiven. It is not because of their precious works that they have knowledge of the Father. It is not because of their precious works that they have conquered the evil one. Not at all. It was all due to their resilient and steadfast faith in Jesus in the midst of a group trying to pull them away from that. Unlike the people who left, John wants the community that remained to know and to be assured that they indeed belong to the faith. You will notice that John mentioned three groups, and he mentioned them twice. The repetition there is solely for emphasis. It is to ensure that they know that John did not miswrite. He wanted to call their attention to those very important truths. The three groups that John mentioned children, fathers, and young men. And at first, at first glance, they appear to be divided across gender and age. But this isn't so. Uh, they are more spiritual than they are physical. After all, what he said about the children is true of all Christians, not just literal children. Now, John called them children in relation to his role in their life, in relation to to his role in that community. He was their shepherd. He was their teacher. He was their wise counsel. And so he called them children because he was their spiritual father. He called a group fathers because while John was their spiritual father, there are folks in the community, men and women, that have been Christians for quite some time. Maybe even as long as, maybe, John himself. And so he related to them in such a manner by calling attention to their maturity. He called the third group young men. Uh, these are those who are young in their faith. All, this, all these commendations bring to these three groups where for their response to the antagonizing Group. It was for their response to those who were causing trouble. Now, Those who were young in their faith stood strong because of their faith, even though they could have been pulled away. Although those who were mature knew that what they knew was true because they knew it for a while. And they all knew that their sins indeed are forgiven as opposed to what the secessionists were promoting. These commandments are true for us as well. As long as we keep the faith, we can have full confidence that our sins, present, past, and future, are forgiven because of the name of Christ, uh, because of Christ. If we keep the faith, we know that our knowledge of God is true and that we are able to overcome. The one who roars like a lion, seeking someone to devour. But John was more explicit about this in chapter 5, verse 4 through 5. When he wrote that for everyone born of God overcomes the word, this is the victory that has overcome the word, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the word? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. And so, dear friends, remember your faith. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, remember your faith, and remember whom your faith is in. That is where your assurance lies. Your assurance does not lie in the things that you do, or the ways you perform, or in the things that you know, but it lies in your faith in Jesus Christ. This is the source of of the love that you desire to show others. The source is your faith. After all, what is the point of consistently loving others as we love ourselves if we have no faith in the one who gave us the perfect example on how to love? How do we respond when we fall short of of loving others as we love ourselves? Brothers and sisters, it is all in our faith. It is our faith that drives us to love, and it is our our faith that drives us to confession when we fall short. And that brings us to our final point for this morning. To wrap up this section, John gave a stark warning to the community. A warning, a command that most likely stemmed from what the secessionists I done. John warned them of the danger of twisted love, uh, the danger of wrongly misapplied love or love wrongly applied. He warned them of what happens when love is applied to the wrong object. Read with me verse 15, 16, and 17. Do not love the word or the things in the word. If an- anyone loves the word, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the word, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the word is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So far we've heard what the presence of love looks like. We've heard why we shouldn't restrain love from each other. And we've learned or heard that faith is a prerequisite for love. And now we look at when love is wrongly applied. John warned and commanded not to love the world, nor the things in the world. And he also mentioned that all things, that all that is in the word is not from God. I don't know about you, but just like his first couple of words in this section, this is also confusing. How are we to understand this? We've been taught that God created the word and all that is in it. Now We've been taught that the old creation belongs to God. So what exactly does John mean when he says that the Word is not from the Father, or the things in it are not from the Father? John also wrote that the desires of the eyes, these are things that are in the Word, the desires of the eyes, desires of the flesh, the pride of life. Well, doesn't that include all that we need for life on earth? Doesn't that include all the basic necessities that we need to live here on earth? And isn't God himself the provider of all things? Well, if those are your questions this morning, I'm glad you asked. First, to understand this, we have to understand that John is presenting Or John presented the Father not in a creator-creature dynamic, but from a salvific perspective. Meaning that the Father here is seen in his role of saving and judging. Uh, Therefore, when it comes to the object of our love, will it be heavenly or will it be earthly? Uh, Is our primary affection to be satisfied here on earth but to be pleasing to the Father in heaven. It's easy to love the life we have here over against the life that the Father has called us to. The things of the world are of no intris- intrinsic value or contribution to belonging to the Father. They're not from the Father because we don't need them to belong to him, but we do in order to belong and function in his word. You, know? or you don't need your hours to belong to God. Or you don't need your cars to belong to God. You don't need money to belong to God, but you do to belong here. So they're not from the Father in that sense when we're looking at it from a perspective of saving and judgment. This is what Demas did. when we think of loving the word and the things in it. Uh, John is wanting us not to apply our love to them. If you remember, uh, Demas is one of the saddest narratives, I think, in the New Testament. Obviously, beside the death and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. In Philemon, at the end of that letter, Paul wrote that, he called Demas, he said, Demas A fellow worker with me greets you. But then, at the end of his life in 2 Timothy, Paul wrote that Demas has left me or has deserted me because of his love for the present world. This is what the secessionists have done as well. It's easy to simplify and classify the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life as money, sex, and power. I'm sure you guys have heard that before. It's easy to classify them and simplify them in those three things, but that is, that is too limiting. It is everything that is involved with living life here on earth. Our comfort. Shoes technology, cars, you name it. Uh, We are to extend our love to fellow Christians and to those who aren't in the faith, but not to this life and all that is in it. Uh, We shouldn't love our comfort over loving others. Uh, We shouldn't love our careers over loving others. Uh, We shouldn't love our houses over loving others. We shouldn't love our status over loving others. We shouldn't love our clique over loving others. We shouldn't love our dogs over loving others. We shouldn't love our politics over loving others. Because when we do, the love of the Father is not in us. the word passes away, only those who do the will of God will remain forever. As the darkness comes to an end uh, through the gospel and through the conduct of believers, only those who do the will of God remain forever. That is something that if you haven't Picked up the point already that I'll I'll be explicit in saying, and this may be jarring to some, but we have a part to play in the eradication of evil and darkness. Yes, evil and darkness will completely be gone when Jesus returns and all will be made new. But in the meantime, our conduct as believers and our gospel message, our gospel message of hope slowly chips it away. And so, brothers and sisters, let us pursue making true love a present reality amongst each other. Let us pursue making the restraint of love, uh, let us pursue not making the restraint of love a reality in our lives. Let us remember to remain steadfast in our faith. And let us remember not to apply this love, to the wrong object. And if you're here this morning, and you you know that you do not belong to the Lord, and you know that you're not a Christian, not that you've been sinning, and you've been confessing, but that you don't belong to him. The Lord is calling you this morning to embrace this gift of salvation. Uh, the Lord is calling you to recognize that true love is only found in him. And one thing that I would say before I wrap up about this group of secessionists that Paul is re- John has written about, now, the problem is not that their behaviors are wrong, the problem is that uh, they have this behavior that is wrong, but refuse to confess it. I'm sure you were very encouraged last week from the message that Ronnie gave. Uh, confession is the vital tenant of the Christian faith. No matter how far we go, no matter how, how wrong we are, No matter how repetitive we behave in terms of our sins, the Lord stands ready when we confess. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you've shown us this new expression of love. A love that's sacrificial. A love that looks to the good and benefit of others. A love that seeks to love others as we love ourselves. A love that lays down his own life, his own rights, his own desires for the benefit of others. We pray that by your grace, by your strength, by your power, By your mercy, we would emulate this love faithfully. And when we don't, that we would come to you confessing, however many times it may be, knowing that you are never agitated by our constant confession. Thank you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.